and welcome to Portraits of Clongos, a podcast series that takes you on a journey into the lives of former pupils of Clongos Wood College. My name is Rossa McDermott, and in this podcast series, we will speak with alumni from Clongos to hear their first-hand accounts of the transformative impact this school has had on their lives. Today on Portraits of Clongos, we have Shane Dowling, who is a founder and principal of Direct Law Solicitors. He qualified as solicitor and commissioner of oaths in 1992. He left Clongos in 1983. He's one of the young guns. Shane Dowling, welcome to Portraits of Clongos. Thank you very much, Ross. It's great to be here. My first question, which is the usual opening question, is how is your time in CWC and how would you remember it? I have very fond memories, Ross. I have to say I was very happy there. It was a great time, uh, formative time in my life. But I do have the caveat to say that it was school, yeah. you know. And, At least you're uh, honest about that. You know, and I don't know any teenager who skips into school every day and saying, you'd be another day here. So it was school and a little bit like your childhood summers. You remember the sunny days and not the dark days. But I do think with time, yeah. those dark days kind of fade and the sunnier days become sunnier. So I had, a, I have to say, I had a great time. It wasn't an easy time. You I had a brother in- there ahead of you, didn't you? I had a brother going into third year. So he was two years ahead of me. And that was a great help. Not that he really talked to me that much, I have to say. Um, <laughs> like any good brother. Exactly. Completely ignored me. Yeah. But the lads in his year were very kind. To me, and yeah. that was a great help to have that infrastructure to go in and lads two years ahead of you, kind of adopting you, looking after you, minding you. So so that was a huge help. Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. And you've been down to time. a place you know, at least once or twice physically to see him. Oh, yeah. We, we used to go down every Sunday. He said we didn't. And in those days, you didn't go home. You just went out for lunch. And yeah. But you do get familiar with the place. So I thought I had, you know, I was going to have an easy time. But it was a different time in life. I think, mm. you know, corporal punishment was abolished in Ireland. I think when I was in second year, we had the, you know, the fortune, great fortune of having Phil Fogarty coming in the year before I joined. And that was the first thing he got rid of. Yeah, a very happy time, the, the whole six years, I have to say. And do you struggle to settle in? Like, I mean, there's a common theme here, the Christmas of rudiments or now it's elements, but the first term is really a pivotal term where people struggle really to believe they want to stay or go. You know what I mean? Was that the same for you? I have to say I didn't struggle. Okay. I, and I was very fortunate in that front. I never suffered from homesickness or anything like that. I was, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't overly confident, but I wasn't quiet. The non-corporate punishment was great coming from primary school where there was corporate punishment to a place where no teacher whacked you was fantastic. <laughs> and slagging was a thing, and yeah. as I think it is to a certain extent still is, but you find your way of adapting to slagging. I'm very fortunate in that respect because I know one man slagging is another man's bullying, but there was slagging. Mm. But I adapted very early. I realized that if you don't take yourself too seriously and you have a bit of humor about it, the slaggers get bored and they leave you alone. I was one of the youngest in the year. So we went into the, the dorms and the, the beds in those days were sorted out by way of age. So the older lads that were nearly 14, they were nearly shaving. They were in a different <laughs> dorm from us. Yeah. And we were in this tiny little room of eight lads called the audiovisual room. All right. And we were the youngest in the group. We were just summer 11. I had just turned 12. Wow. So the eight of us became good buddies and we kind of did everything together. So... To have that little unit from day yeah. one was fantastic, I have to say. And were you anywhere like Killashee or anywhere before? You just came from boarding school straight with no 
ring yeah, straight or... in Rosa, and I have to say I remember the first day and in those days your parents would make your bed well your mum would make your bed and <laughs> your dad would watch and then they left there was no teas and coffees in, yeah. in concourse or anything like that in those days off they went and I remember standing beside my brother and I thought well he's going to look after me yeah. <laughs> and, and we waved the parents goodbye off they went down the, the avenue and he turned to me and said right see you so and that was the last time he spoke to me in four years, even though he'd dispute that. And I remember walking around the back of the castle thinking, oh, my God, I don't even know my way back to the, the dorm. And I bumped into the Kilishi group. Yeah. And I was saying, how do these lads know each other? Yeah. You know, and then I bumped into another group that knew each other through parents' connections. Some, so I knew nobody. That's very intriguing you say that. Yeah, I remember that distinctly now that you say it. There's people seeing, there's groups of people or pods, you might call them now, who kind of knew each other. And I come yeah. in from Madrid, parachuted in at 12. I knew nobody. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think you settle in very quickly. Yeah. They're fantastic at that now. Like my three lads have gone through it. My youngest is in, in rhetoric. But they're brilliant and very conscious of that now. They weren't in, in our days, time. Yeah. They just, you just did your own thing. Hmm. But I remember going up to that dorm that day and there was a lad there from Malaysia, a guy called David Ryan, and he said, do you fancy a game of tennis? And I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> and we went down, and then all the Kilshee lads joined us. Uh, mm. We all started playing tennis. And then suddenly, you know, you're in a group of 10 lads that you never knew before. Yeah. So it happens naturally, but the school do a brilliant job with that now. So I believe, yeah. You just, you, you just did it naturally. And integrating wasn't really an issue. And, and thankfully, as I said, a lot of kids did suffer from homesickness for yeah. the first two months. I have to say I was blessed on that front and never did. You're tough, not then? Not tough. As, no, I was far from it. I didn't know what it was, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I, was just, I was just having too much fun. Like, it was great fun. Even in first year, there was, there was crack. So, uh, yeah, no, I was just having too much fun. And if I said to you, what did it give you for life that you've adopted as a principle, a behavior, a pattern, or a thing that you use every day to keep you on the straight and narrow, work-wise, professionally, yeah. what would those things be? I think the values you learn in any boarding school, and particularly Congress, aren't from big events. You know, it's not like your year won the cup and the, we had a couple of great cup runs during my time. Not that I was involved in any of them, but, you know, they're the big things throughout mm. your six years. You don't learn, in my view, any values from that. You learn values from what I would call the bits in between, the small things. Mm. You know, that hour between eight and nine. I think we, in a way, we were blessed that we didn't have the all-weather pitch, the VMP, because we had nothing to do between eight and nine. So, you know, somebody would say, oh, there's, you know, there's a debate or yeah. there's drama or something. You get involved in anything just to fill that hour. Or else you'd sit on a radiator and just chat to lads for, you know, for an hour, unknowingly honing your interpersonal skills and your ability to have fun, humor, debate and roll with the punches. So I, I think I was blessed and we, our time was blessed with that. Um, and I'm thrilled to see that school is now advertising for a director of, of performing arts, which I think will bring back debating and drama back into the school. So I'm thrilled about that. But the values I learned from, from that aspect and those aspects of school were things like resilience, humor, loyalty to friends, the ability to stand up in front of people and not absolutely brick yourself. <laughs> and I think the strength to not take yourself too seriously. They're, I think, uh, values that I've taken yeah, and, and that's all part of the cohabiting, isn't it? You have to learn to take the punches and not take yourself, as you say, too seriously and get on with people. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm stunned because I've heard it before, independently, because I go down there more frequently than I used, that mm -hmm. the things like debating and uh, were 
less important than in my time, because that was a huge part of life. Obviously, we had T.C. Kelly, music, yeah. and Mickey Weedle. But I suppose nowadays, the pressure of the leaving does impact the balance of the day. And then rugby has become so important at times, you Abs- feel. Yeah, absolutely, Ross. And, and you know, I've, I've nothing against that. I played rugby, not very successfully, but I played it and enjoyed it and still enjoy it. But I do think there was a balance in our time. Yeah. And I do think it was that hour between eight and nine. You know, everybody, all the prefects now, they're all rugby guys. Mm. And, you know, we had a little bit of balance there with Percy Winder who brought tennis to Correct. school. And tennis was a big thing. Was Bradshaw you know, still there in your time, was he? He was, he yeah. was. We had Johnny Luby who really pushed the whole drama thing. Yeah. Debating was a massive thing. You know, like, I mean, to win... A debating medal in school in those days was, you know, nearly as big as the aloe. It was a big thing oh, to win yeah. a debating medal. And we had great funding. If, if for nothing else, it was an excuse to get out of the school. Yeah. You know, if you get onto the school debating team and you're debating against girls' schools, which was well, we, we never terrifying. had that. <laughs> oh, it was terrifying. Yeah. The debating didn't bother me, but debating in front of girls was absolutely yeah. terrifying. It's a fabulous skill on reflection. I mean, we had, as I say, and it's an incredible thing it's gone because it teaches you so much unknowingly of how to compose yourself on your feet and think and talk and articulate. I mean, as I said, I won the silver medal in rudiments and never debated after that. But the things it taught me, I didn't know about them until later in life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. I I think that is the one biggest skill, not value, but skill that it gave me and still when I'm on my feet, or whatever it is, it could be, could be in court or it could be, you know, at, at weddings or giving yeah. a speech about everything or whether it's involved in the union or whatever it is. I st- still remember the third line debates and how <laughs> I, I learned how to do it, you know. Yeah. And again, you weren't taught how to do it. It was sink or swim. You just yeah. stood up and you said, right, okay. Yeah, we had a good, yeah. you used to have uh, six years to teach us in first year, Peter Gray, Godfrey Deeney, a guy called Fergal O'Flynn. And yeah. they they were tasked with teaching us all how to debate. There was a lot, when I have all the the mementos at home somewhere. When I look at the old boxes, we debated yeah. quite a lot, a lot more than yeah. I realised at the time. It was and kind it was, of it, our it, social it was, activity. Absolutely, and against that hour between eight and nine, I remember being in third year, yeah. or third line, and Peter Halleck was the big debater in school at the time. And I used to sneak into the higher line debates just to hear him because yeah. he was just fantastic. I'd just be blown away. And the past week present debates, again, just to listen to Peter Howick was just a joy. And um, he was so funny, so articulate, so clever. Uh, I'm actually talking to him next, Shane. Are, you're not, yeah, are you? Yeah, I've convinced him because I have a huge regard for his ability, both yeah. writing and uh, his articulateness. He's just so good with words, always was. It's yeah, just ironic. Yeah. He's on next. Well, you could tell him if you saw a little chubby curly haired guy from first year <laughs> squeezing into the higher line debate lifting with me. Without permission. But it's Thanks one of the things one of the things I took for granted. I'm always surprised in recent years that it's no longer the same uh, impetus of debating. Yeah. That's wrong, I think, personally. But but I think I think the school are addressing it. Yeah, they are. Uh, I believe they are. Yeah. It's, it's a drum like I've been beating for for since uh, my first kid started there. Well you've been involved in the parents' side as well, haven't you quite consistently? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's a drum I've been beating for, you know, 10 years and um, the lack of debating, lack of drama, but it is being addressed and I'm thrilled it's being addressed. So mm-hmm. so my kids won't benefit from it, but future years will. You know, as I said, they're they're appointing this director of performing arts, which hopefully will encourage kids. And, and, and you know, I know it's known now as kind of not the cool thing to do. And rugby is the only cool thing to do, but you can be good at both, you know. Absolutely. In hindsight, I mean, people say, oh, about well, 78, this and 78. And Greg is the first to say, you know, it's no big deal. To us, 
it wasn't a big deal. It was great to win it. But as soon as the cup was over, the 18th of March, Mick Shea was more worried about our leaving results. So the cup was kind of done and dusted and we had to perform in the leaving, sir. So it was, we were balanced the same pressure. The rugby yeah. was just a by the way. And years after it, rugby seemed to become too big. The way I I see it, so maybe I'm, I'm different. Like I, you know, I, I played parents rugby when I was in sixth year. I was, you know, I, because I was so young, I played JCT in, in yeah. fourth years. So I never scaled the dizzy heights of SCT or anything like that. But when we were in school, I think we considered it our sport. Yeah. Uh, and it was almost like, you know, the, the likes of Phil Frogatry, Percy Winder, these people who were in power really didn't know a huge amount about it, really. Yeah. It was it was our sport. It was the boys' sport. But now it's completely mainstream. We've come almost like Black Rock, where it's, it's in your DNA, you yeah. know, and you have a rugby ball at four o'clock and then at eight o'clock. And I'm not saying there's anything against that. Um, I'm very pro that, but not to the detriment of those really other important things that we did, debating, drama, et cetera. So anyway. Um, the balance, you know, moderation balance. is... Uh, exactly. You know, nothing like moderation. I think there's more emphasis now, also on academics as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there really wasn't an emphasis on academics when yeah. I was there, unless you, the student himself, put uh, an emphasis on it. You were under no pressure. Mm. I think the kids are under huge pressure now, all kids in every school. Yeah, very school, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're under the microscope from both teachers and parents. And so the pressures on kids now are immense. Oh, it's um, too much, so, I think, personally. But, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. that's the way we live in today's world, John. They have to partake in that. It's good to hear they're, they're addressing some of those imbalances. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there one memory or recollection that stands out to you the first time you saw the place or people or teachers or names of people? That uh, Jim, my, first mem- my first memory is that the very first day when my brother said, see you around. Um, <laughs> so that was my very first memory. I, no, I know you've amended because I saw you talking at the Ireland England game, mate. So you're, you're kind of friends again, are you? you well, know? I'm a great pal, so he's going to kill me for that. But uh, He's made amends. We've made amends. But, I, you know, so many, the first day and things like that in first year, I do remember that final. I remember where I was sitting in Lansdowne Road and I had a packet of wine gums. <laughs> Um, I remember my parents driving me and driving me home. I remember where I was. Hmm. I remember the big snow when we were in second year, I think, where Paul was on the juniors that year. I think they had played and we were due to go back. We had late leaves. I was only in second year and there was a big snow. And I remember Oggy Doggy meeting us at the Hapley <laughs> Bridge saying, sorry, guys, no buses back. You have yeah. to find your own way, which is incredible. Wow. And there were no mobile phones. So you had about 100 kids all young, all 13, 14, that kind of age group, wandering the streets of Dublin, looking for a place to stay. Bad to um, walk, the old collection point for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was an incredible time. And I remember the cleans picked us up. I actually did run into Paul and his pals. So they did mine us that day. Oh, Paris. did it? They did. And, but we were lucky. Uh, the cleans were driving around, literally picking up these these guys that had nowhere to go. So. Yeah. Uh, they collected us and brought us. Because people uh, forget how remote Clongos really was, even in your time, because only a few years after us. Like, mm. Clane was a long way away. Transport was through the windy Lucan Road. It yeah. wasn't easily accessed. And the idea of a taxi being taken, there was no Uber or taxis would even want to go there. You know what I mean? So if That's you were true. stuck in Dublin, you were stuck in Dublin. And a lot of That's people true. didn't live in Dublin, so they had no relatives anywhere to stay. Yeah, uh, and, and even parents were different. They didn't worry too much about us. I, yeah. I, now, I'm not sure if this is true, Paul will correct me on this, but I have a vision of us getting to a phone box and phoning home and saying, look, will you come and collect us? And they said, no, the roads are too bad. You know? 
<laughs> find somewhere to stay. All right, you know. So uh, parenting was different in those days as well. Yeah, not parenting one on one, obviously. And the fact that you said your son's there, obviously, it was a given, was it? It wasn't a given on several fronts. Financially, number one, mm. you know, that was a huge decision for the two of us to make. And, and, and the two of you make that decision. Caroline wasn't a total stranger to the whole thing. Her dad had gone um, and her uncles had gone to Clarkville. So she okay. was aware of it. Yeah. She's a country girl. So when she went down to, to visit the place, she just absolutely loved it. The sense of space and all mm. of that. So it wasn't a foregone conclusion. It was a massive decision, but it was a decision. I think looking back, we both can agree that it, it was a good decision. I, and listening to your previous speakers, there's one thing that a lot of dads say that they were too selfish to send them, that they didn't want yeah. to lose. I really do. I understand that because yeah. I do think the parent-child relationship and particularly the father-child relationship is so much closer now yeah. than it was when we were kids. But I can only talk from, from our experience. My experience is it's actually brought us closer together wow. because what it's done is it takes the tough bit of the teenage parenting, you know, worrying about are they studying, worrying about where are they going after school, they're late home, where are they, what are they up to, what are they doing? All of that worry and stress and angst it takes it away because they're in school. You know where they are so that when they come home, it's, it's fun time. You get the good bit of parenting, the easy bit. Yeah. And as a result, there's no tension or, conf- or very little tension confrontation. There's almost there's none, but very little. Uh, and you end up being closer than you would have been in, in our experience if they'd stayed at home. So I, I think, if anything, it strengthens the, the bond between parents and kids. That's my experience. No, so I think it's valid. And obviously, the fact that Caroline had a taste for it, you know, sometimes your partner is more skeptical than you. It's hard to convince them. I had two daughters who didn't apply to me because I would have been the selfish category. But that helps. Yeah. But was Paul the first in the family to go? To uh, he was. Our uncle had gone. Okay, um, so there was a previous link. There, there was, yeah. Okay. Our uncle and our cousin had gone. So the cousins are much older than us. Mm. Um, and we found we had other cousins when we, Paul went in there first. He was talking to an Omara and they made a family connection. So mm. we ended up having more cousins there. But our first cousins had gone, but they were 20 years older than us. But there was some sort of connection there, all right. Yeah. But Paul was the first of our immediate family to go, yeah. And if I ask you what memories you have and pieces of music. Well, how long want... have you got, Ross? This is my favourite question. <laughs> oh, is it? Well, what, what oh, do you, what you hear today on FM 104, wherever you listen to, that takes you back to when you're that age, I, I, 12, 13, uh, 14, 15, whatever? I think that that's a fantastic question. I was never cutting edge. When others were listening to punk rock and, and ska and new wave, <laughs> I was quietly listening to Neil Diamond and Simon and Garfunkel in my queue. And um, so I was never cutting edge. There were three albums that I know several of your previous speakers have mentioned that came out when I was in first year, mm. but I didn't get a tape recorder until I was in second year. So Christmas is second year. I got a two in one, which was a cassette player and a radio, right. radio in one machine, which was uh-huh. extraordinary. And I had a little earpiece, little white earpiece that went into one ear. <laughs> and I got the three albums. So they, they were Fleetwood Mac Rumours. Super Tramp, uh, Breakfast in America and Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. So I would listen to them over and over again in third line. In lower line, I started listening to the radio after Lights Out. Mm. And I two songs that I remember from those couple of years. One was going to write a classic. I don't know who sang it. It was far from a classic, but it was just played ad nauseum. And the other one was Desiderata. 
you are a child of the universe. And I remember that coming on at the end of some program on radio. And I thought, right, every night, that's the time to, to hit it off and get some sleep. In higher line, things change. You know, you start having socials. So yeah. music, place of music, <laughs> and what it means changes. So I remember a song by Imagination called Just an Illusion, which became kind of iconic in, in our year. And then there was a song by the Human League, Don't You Want Me Baby, which we adopted uh, we changed the words around, threw in a few teachers' names and a bit of schoolboy humour. And still 40 years later, we're still singing at, it at reunions. So it became our anthem, if you like. But in sixth year, I graduated from the little white earpiece to a set of headphones. And now these, Ross, were serious headphones. They were stereo. So and those little white earphones were deadly because you fell asleep and they fell yes. out of your ear. You'd be... <laughs> I woke up one morning and I couldn't find them because the prefect come in and took them off me and my radio. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because <laughs> obviously yeah. waking everybody up. Yeah. So these headphones, and I remember somebody giving me Pink Floyd and I'd never heard Pink Floyd before and they gave me two albums. It was Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall and I'd never heard anything like it. So I got those two albums. So for six years, certainly it was Pink Floyd. So they're, they're my music memories. But, you know, I could talk for hours, but but I'd bore you to tears. You know, no, so. you wouldn't. That's one of my favourite topics, but you've hit on most of the albums that I would listen to. Some of the, we had Pink Floyd, The Wall in college. Yeah. The Supertram we had, obviously. And the guy you think of is Adrian Gervitz, who sang was a, that, a, a write a classic. Gonna write a classic. Oh, what a dreadful song. I mean, yeah, one hit wonder, but it was really it was gonna write a classic, gonna write it in a nasty. <laughs> Yeah, like Johnny Luby would not have been very impressed with the lyrics. <laughs> no, no, no. But it was just every single night you listen to it. Yeah. But yeah, great memories. Yeah, and the music, music is one of those things that takes you back and visually, orderly and makes you 12 or 13 and can work if you're really that way inclined. And right. you still hear songs like Fleetwood Mac and it's, it's incredible. That album was incredible. We were in Stratford at the time. With John Luby looking at plays and that song was all those album songs were playing so it's kind of uh, pervades the middle of the years of our life down there incredible absolutely and the kids still listen to it my yeah kids they do still, yeah my kids are still influenced by my taste it's my yeah, daughter's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. a lot of responsibility they, they say we have no taste but then you hear them <laughs> listen to our stuff and they know yeah, all the words exactly and if you were to sum up your time there in a phrase word uh, Shane what would that be I've thought an awful lot about that question. And I think the answer, and this isn't to sound too soppy, it's family. And it's not the little house in the prairie family. It's the real sense of family, the good, the bad. And you're not going to love everybody in your family. But I think when you share common upbringing, a heritage, formative six years of your life, you do become almost members of this very strange uh, family. And I do think you have a bond with people and you meet people who've been there that may not have been there in your time. They could be older, younger, but as soon as you hear that and you meet them, you know that you have a common bond, that you've shared something in your childhood in common and, and you have almost a familial bond between you. And I, I would actually say that that goes beyond the students as well. Mm. And because the parents are so involved now, the six-year journey isn't a journey just for the kids. It's a journey for the parents. And I felt that with each of my three lads that you form friendships in the three groups. And again, they form part of, of the extended family. And you have that bond with parents that you know your, your kids have gone through this experience together. So, yeah, so if I, I was to sum it up in one word, it would be family. And you're, you're still very close. You meet regularly. 
as a year, you mean, or as, as a year, as a group, as a year. Individuals. We just had we just had our fortieth reunion. Fortieth, um, young mere young yeah, fellas. <laughs> yeah, we are very young fellas. We're going to have them every five years now instead mm. of ten for obvious reasons. Yeah, but we just had it there two weeks ago in the Ardlawn in Galway, and it was super. Now, myself and Tom Shaw have organised these reunions for the last number of decades, and I'm always very conscious that it's the same people who go people who had a great time there. There's there's a group of about 20, I'd say, from our year mm. who don't engage. Yeah. And that concerns me. You know, I, I do try and, and get in touch with them, and so does Tom, but I can only imagine that they didn't have as good a time there as, as, as I had. And I am sad for that. But we have a, a core group of, I think there was about 37, 38, wow. um, the reunion. And yeah, so look, I mean, we... we this small groups that that I'd stay in touch with on a regular basis. You know, my two or three closest pals are still the closest pals I had in, in, in school. So, yeah, we'd be close. Shane Darling, thank you for joining me on Portraits of Clongos. Thanks, Rossa. Thanks, Rossa.